Welcome, everybody. You may not know this, but we have people at Homer Glen. We're glad to have you watching us. We're glad to have you at New Lenox Campus. We're glad to have you online, Facebook Live. I, I know we got people on there. I got relatives watching on there. We're glad to have all of you guys here with us. Oh, what is this? Oh, Pastor Todd's sermon notes from last week. No political commentary, just, that's just funny right there. I don't care what you say. Hey, and please don't ever doubt my ability to interpret Scripture. Did I call the Super Bowl or did I call the Super Bowl? Come on. Chiefs won. I was born in Missouri. I was a fan for the day. If you didn't see it, I really did call it. Todd and I did it last week. I want to talk about marriage today, not your average marriage. We've been doing this series, not your average life, not your average lifestyle, not your average faith, not your average prayer. We've been doing all this because we want 2020 to be above average. And, and I wanted to do marriage today because I don't know if you figured this out, but it's Valentine's Day this week, okay? On Friday, it's Valentine's Day, and I want to get you ready for it, okay? And, and then we'll start this next series next week. I, I, I just want to tell you my story. Story, okay, my, my love story. It was fall of 1981, believe it or not, a long time ago. I was at a chapel service of Ozark Christian College. I don't remember who was preaching that day, but I remember the special music. It was the Vernon family singers, like, like they were like the Von Trapps, you know, from Sound of Music, but they were like this whole family that sang together. It was a quartet of brothers that, uh, that sang all around the country and had a TV show. And then as their kids grew up, they started bringing their kids along on things and they sang at chapel and that's when I saw her. It was, uh, it was this one over here, her, her brother, Doug was a good friend of mine, and I saw this one over here, and I thought, hmm, who is that? Must be his sister, I'll ask. And sure enough, I found out she was a high school senior, and she was going to be coming to this college that I went to next year. Just made a mental note, you know? You got to understand that a college with 600 students that was mostly a ministry training college, the crop was thin. There were a lot of guys, not a huge selection of women. It was basically China, okay? But as a guy who, <laughs> thank you, but as a guy who knew God was calling him to ministry, I knew I wasn't going to have an easy time doing ministry with just some girl I met at a nightclub, okay? It was, it's a weird life, and you have to be called to it. And besides, Joplin, Missouri didn't have a nightclub. And besides that, if they had a nightclub and I went to it, I would have gotten kicked out of my college. So I knew I needed a, a teammate. I, I knew I needed somebody that, to do this ministry thing with that was really called to the same deal. And I was hoping to find one that was easy on the ice as well. So I dated a couple of girls along the way, one pretty seriously. Maybe she was going to be it, but we were off again, on again. And the summer before my senior year, 1982, I went to a summer internship in Southern California. I was still, you know, connected to the girl back home, but I was keeping my California girl options open as I went to California, and, um, and I had a wonderful summer, but, you know, it wasn't about that, and I got back to college without a California girl or a Missouri girl. It was my senior year, and I looked around a little bit, and there was that Vernon girl. She was here finally, but I was a little slow, and she was already taken, like the first day of class. Like, ah, ah. You know, I mean, that, I'm telling you, that's the way it was. 
Um, so, so I'm like, oh, that's all good. I got to get my life figured out. And I had been contacted by a church in Springfield, Missouri, who needed a weekend youth pastor. And, uh, and, and a weekend youth pastor would go over on the weekends, stay with families, and, uh, you know, do youth ministry stuff on Saturday and Sunday, help them with their programs, and then, and then go back to college. And it just so happened that this was the church that the Vernons went to. And I even stayed with the Vernons occasionally along the way. So... Long story short, by late November, Denise, the freshman man killer, had already been through a couple of amateurs and was briefly unattached. <laughs> I heard she was going to be home for the weekend, so I made up this excuse about needing to watch the Oklahoma football game like nobody else had a TV. But Denise's mom was from Oklahoma, and I knew that, so that was my little hook. And I was like, I need to stay with you guys this weekend so we can watch the game. Yes, I am that good. Why do you think you're here? I mean, come on. The plan worked like a charm. I slept in Doug's room across the hall from hers. As we retired for the evening, I asked her if I could take her out for her birthday in December. She accepted, and the rest, as they say, is history. We dated through my senior year and got married a year later in her home church. And no, we didn't spend our honeymoon in Doug's room. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Was it love at first sight? Well, it kind of was for me. It took her a little bit longer. But we celebrate 36 years together on Tuesday. Thank you very much. And they have been several of the greatest years of my life. I mean, seriously, can we just be honest, married people? Rodney Dangerfield said it well, said it the best. He said, my wife and I were happy for 20 years and then we met. Listen... Listen, I'm not going to be one of those preachers who tells you that everything that God ordains is easy. Our marriage has been the hardest thing either one of us have ever done. Harder than public speaking, harder than jumping from a plane, leading a church, rotator cuff surgery, root canal. They all pale in comparison to the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that we poured in to living happily ever after. So please, married folks, will you just, just go with me on this? I want the single people here to see this. I want it to be a visible thing for them. I'm going to ask you a question about whether or not your marriage was harder than you thought it was going to be going into it. And I, I'm, I'm prepping it ahead of time because I really want you to make sure you're looking at cues uh, from your partner before you stick your hand up really fast, okay? So here's the question. Has your marriage been harder than you thought it would be? Can I get a show of hands, okay? All, okay, look around. Keep your hands up, okay? There's a newlywed couple over here and an old couple that didn't hear the question. Everybody else that's married has their hands up because marriage is harder than you thought it was going to be. Why? Because here's the problem. When we're little, we dream about somebody who's going to melt our hearts and fulfill our dreams, and someday my prince will come. I blame the Hallmark Channel, but we are told that God has somebody out there for us who is going to be that person person. So we go out and we look for that person. And we usually start with this long list of characteristics of somebody that we want in our life. And then we start to meet actual human beings, <laughs> right? And we realize there's no such thing as what we thought there was. And eventually we find someone that we enjoy being with, but you know, it's not quite the ideal we had in our mind. We realize that we're lonely without them, but we begin to ask ourselves these questions like, do I want to spend the rest of my life with them? Is the feeling deep enough? If I make a commitment to them, will I miss out on somebody else? 
what if I marry this one, but they don't Jerry Maguire me, you know? I mean, all these things. And, and so that's what I want to talk. I want to go back and look at the very first not average marriage today. Again, next week, we're going to start Sorry Not Sorry. I'm going to talk next week about forgiving ourselves. Middle week is forgiving others. And the third week is forgiving God, because I believe when we can get through that, it's really going to change our 2020 as well. I hope you'll come back and be here for part of it. But today, let's finish up not average. How can we be not average? Because average, what they tell us is that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Would I get on a plane that had a 50% chance of going down? No, that's why, that's why marriage is, is held so lightly today. But what if I told you that that stat is wrong? Which I will in a minute. It is wrong. It's better than that. More importantly, what if I told you that God took a marriage of a couple people that really came into it with a bunch of baggage and a bunch of different ideals and made it in our life the best thing that ever happened to us. I notice on one of the cold remedies that I use at Thanksgiving after my germ bag grandchildren tried to kill me with the RSV virus. <laughs> I, was just, I was just reading it, you know, while I was dripping. And it said, for best results, follow the instructions of the manufacturer. I thought, well, that'll preach. What if we went back to the truly only not average marriage that ever existed and looked at what God had in mind for us in the first place? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God set up marriage as the basis for human relationships. Whether you believe it or not, that's how it was set up. Stats are that two-thirds of millennials will cohabitate, even though most want to marry. It's become this thing where it's like marriage is like whether you decide to rent or buy a house, right? I mean, you just, you know, maybe yeah, maybe no, it doesn't really matter. But that wasn't the original plan. God designed the original plan as a partnership. Okay, the Lord God said it is not good. First thing ever not good in the Bible and creation for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. A helper. What is that? The wife is the helper. What does that look like? Does it look like this? He lost his tire. So he has to have his wife balance things out so they can drive down the road. Is that great? This is a great picture of marriage, right? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. The word for helper in the Bible is ezer, okay? Hebrew word ezer, which has been, you know, it's been, it's been interpreted as like assistant, like the woman was there to help the man accomplish all his goals, okay? And that's so wrong because God is called our helper, Many times in the Bible, he's called our Ezer, like Psalm 46.1. God is a very present Ezer, help, in trouble. Is God my assistant? No, God's God. Okay, this was a partnership. Plus, the, this misses the whole previous part of the creation epic where men and women are given dominion together, a joint purpose in the world. So try to get that image out of your head and remember partnership, okay? Interestingly, statistics show that single men do not live as long as married men. That makes sense, right? Because they're eating McDonald's every night and whatever, okay? But, but the really interesting stat I read was a survey of happiness. So they took both genders and happy and unhappy, so four categories. And the happiest among all of the sexes, all the genders, between single and married, happiest category was married men. 
unhappiest category was unmarried men. All right? It's not good for men to be alone. Strangely, the opposite was not true. <laughs> I, I can't make this up. The second happiest group were unmarried women. <laughs> I don't understand that. Maybe you do. Uh, I don't know. So evidently, it's not good for man to be alone, but women might be better off. You decide, okay? <laughs> And please listen to me. I know I'm talking to a lot of singles out there. I'm talking to a lot of people who are in a relationship, whatever. Just because you hear me talking about this, you will likely be in a relationship. And I am not implying that singleness is bad. I mean, maybe if you're a woman, it's better. And Jesus and Paul said he recommends it. It's a recommended way for them to go, okay? So whether it's marriage or not, what we know is we need partnership, right? It's not good for man to be alone. We need people around us. That's the principle. So God took the very first surgery, made the very first surgery, and it says, the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs, and one of the man's ribs, and closed up the place with the flesh. And the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. God could have made Eve out of the dust of the ground like he did Adam, but he did it from a rib, from his side. The, the old rabbi said God chose a rib from Adam's side, not a bone from his head that he would rule over her, not a bone from his foot, that, 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 not a bone from his head that she would rule over him, or a bone from his foot that he would rule over her, but one from his side that they would be together as one, from under his arm that he might protect her, from close to his heart that he might love her. That's symbolic of the partnership. And Adam woke up from first surgery and he sees Eve. And the, this translation is terrible. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. When you read this in the Hebrew, there's a lot more excitement. Let me just put it that way. He's seen all the animals and now all of a sudden there is Eve. And he says, God, this is awesome. <laughs> wrap her up, I'll take her. On second thought, don't wrap her up, I'll take her. And Adam and Eve's union was above average because it was a partnership, because it was an exclusive partnership. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about the fact that the first couple got married without any other choices? There's no in-laws. There's no ex-boyfriends. There's no Joneses to keep up with. There's no romantic comedies to give them silly ideas. And there's no clothes. Somebody say dilly dilly for me right now. Right? I mean, it would be so easy. I did hear that Adam got, got in a little late one night and Eve got suspicious, so she waited till he went to sleep and counted his ribs just to make sure. But, but nothing was going. But unlike the first couple, we are surrounded by hundreds of choices and comparisons every day. And there are a lot of married couples who are looking over their shoulder all the time, wondering if there might be somebody better out there, somebody who could make them happier. And the rise of pornography and the internet has deepened this problem into a huge canyon of doubt. I read this, the saddest stat this week. Um, I won't mention the name, but there used to be a website uh, where married people could go cheat. It got hacked and uh, a lot of people got outed, but um, I know some very, very sad stories that came from this website. I mean, like not just marriages breaking up, but suicides, literally, because of this terrible thing. Um, but I read that uh, the number one day for people to sign up for that website to cheat on their spouse 
was February 15th. Like, Valentine's Day just wasn't what I thought it would be, so I'm going to make a plan to cheat on my spouse. Christian marriage is not based on having the best. It is based on the premise that if I'm with this person, this is the person God provided for me, and I'm going to be the best to the exclusion of everybody else. And when you live that way, it eliminates insecurity and it paves the way for love. Somebody said it this way, fairy tales are about finding the right person, but true love is about being the right person. Let me say that again. Fairy tales are about finding the right person, but true love is about being the right person. I've been the pastor of this church for 30 years. And when I'm with other pastors, I often get the question, you know, why did you stay for 30 years? I mean, usually you move along the way. You get an offer to go to a better church or a better salary or whatever. And, and people are like, well, why are you set the same place for 30 years? And my answer is always the same. I mean, it's the weather and the property taxes. I mean, <laughs> more could you want? <laughs> and in the, in the early years, I mean, honestly, I did kind of look around a little bit. But in the last 20 years, while God's been doing all the stuff that God's been doing, I knew without a doubt that this is where I wanted to be. And here's what happens. If you start to get, if you get an offer from somebody, somebody comes looking and they come knocking on your door and you're like, yeah, no thanks, I'm good. After a while, you start getting that reputation of, well, they're not willing to relocate. If you start chasing after every opportunity that comes along the way, you're just going to keep getting more and more and more opportunities. What I'm saying is that if you want the happiest and most fulfilling marriage, there has to be a mental exclusion in your commitment, like a, a, literally a mental sign and maybe even a way that, that you put that out there to other people. I am not willing to relocate. One author said we need to murder the alternatives. I love that. If you didn't really mean it, when you stood at the altar and said, I will give myself to you as long as we both shall live, then you need to begin to mean it now. Because if you're always comparing, you're going to be disgruntled. You're going to pick away at your partner and wonder if you could do better. And I'm not talking about special situations like abuse and unfaithfulness. I know there are biblical reasons why it might be time for you to hang it up. But I have seen God heal some marriages from some stuff that would curl your hair. And I know that he can do it. And what I'm saying is that there is not a wrong person. God did not make one man for one woman. He gave us freedom of choice. And if you chose... As the famous theologian Ray Charles would say, you got the right one, baby. You need to hang that sign up that says, not willing to relocate. If you want God's best for you, if you want an above average marriage, you need to murder the alternatives. Jesus, Paul, and Moses all quoted the same verse. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. Adam and Eve's union was above average because it was an exclusive partnership. But it was also, lastly, an intimate exclusive partnership. The man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. My friend, Pastor Nathan, sent me the Demi Lovato song that she did at the Grammys. I didn't watch the Grammys, but I went back and watched it. I encourage you to go watch it because it really hit me hard. He said, you know what? This is the anthem of our generation. 
The song's called Anyone, and, and basically she's just saying, is anyone listening to me? Anyone, please send me anyone, Lord. Is there anyone? I mean, it is like you want to talk about not good to be alone. And here's the problem. This world has increasingly made intimacy about sex. And you want to know what the crazy thing is? The more we cheapen sex, the more we crave intimacy. They can go together and they should go together, but they don't automatically go together. You can have one without the other. You can hook up without intimacy, but it's just going to leave you feeling more and more alone. Adam and Eve had complete intimacy. They had nothing to hide. There was no deception. There were no inhibitions in that relationship. Everything was perfect until sin entered the picture, right? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They made coverings for themselves. Do you understand that? I mean, this is so important for us to grab a hold of. We've been living with coverings ever since then. But if we want to have an intimate, exclusive partnership, we have to get past this. The problem is that sin has made us self-conscious. Sin has made us uncomfortable with each other. Sin has brought inhibitions and alienated us from God and from each other. So they put on coverings, like literally masks. They put on costumes hiding who they were. And we've been perfecting that process ever since. And now we can do it really easily on social media, right? Nobody is ever going to really know who I am. But listen to me. As your relationship matures, it should produce an increasing transparency with our mate. We'll never know the complete intimacy that Adam and Eve did. You're never going to know another person like they knew each other. You're not going to know yourself because of sin like they did. But the average marriage is based on coverings. And an above average marriage is based on being open and honest and uninhibited with each other. And it may take help. If you've heard me talk about this before, you want to know how we got from a crazy marriage to a wonderful marriage. It was with the help of God and a bunch of counselors. I can't even tell you how many periods of counseling, Christian counseling, that Denise and I have been through to help us do, through different stages of our marriage. I could have bought a boat by now, I'm pretty sure. Well, one group of counselors estimated, and, and, and I'm a professional communicator, man. we got to have help. One group of counselors estimated that 85% of marriage problems come down to poor communication, which just means if we don't get some help, we're going to be asking, Lord, is there anyone who is listening? Just give me anyone. One study showed that the average couple watches 47 hours of television a week and only 30 minutes in meaningful conversation and communication. 47 hours in Netflix. I don't care if you're Netflix and chilling, you still got to have some time to talk, okay? Because reliable communication permits progress, and you're never going to make progress in, into the kind of an above average marriage that you want if you don't have time to talk. If you want intimate, exclusive partnership, you're going to have to make it happen. And it, your marriage is never going to grow without it. And I just wonder how many marriages represented out there today are pretending. How many of you are just pretending that all is well, but you know that it's just shallow and there's a lot of loneliness? And instead of two becoming one, you're just roommates. Now, I know it's painful to bring this up, but I'm bringing it up so that you can do something about it because I don't want you to have an average marriage in 2020. 
Psychologist Scott Peck talks about the tunnel of chaos. He says you got to go through the tunnel of chaos to get to the tunnel of love. And the tunnel of chaos is when you open yourself up and you peel off the coverings and you go in and you're vulnerable. And it takes two people who are willing to communicate and stay committed during the communication. But the only way to get to the tunnel of love is the tunnel of chaos. And don't forget my favorite mug of Christmas. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. You probably need somebody involved along the way. Or maybe when you get to the point we do, every once in a while, like maybe that's what this sermon will be for you, you just take a step back and you go, hey, you know what? We're not doing very good on this. Because that's what happened to Denise and I. Just true confession. Emptiness is weird and wonderful. You know, every room's a naked room and all that. That's great. But, but even though it's just the two, sorry for that image, even though it's just the two of us all the time, I mean, our kids have all moved away. It's just the two of us all the time. That doesn't guarantee intimacy. You think, oh, it's got to be so easy now. No, it's easy to get complacent. Without realizing it, this is true confession, we've turned into the couple that watches TV during dinner. It's just a sitcom. But, but, you know, it, and, it, and it's, it helps me to have a comedy on while, you know, not looking at the kale and Brussels sprouts and the crap she's making me eat. It's helpful to have something like that. But, guys, we even have a coffee table that pops up into a TV tray. I mean, we're serious about this. Let me just tell you, we realize there's not much communication going on while you're facing forward watching TV. And we've been convicted about it lately. We decided, you know what, we need to go back to actually talking during dinner. Like sitting at the kitchen table and talking and having a devotion and praying together. And I know you think, well, I thought that's what you guys did all day long. No, 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 no. We weren't doing it at all. We were watching Modern Family, okay? I'm just telling you that. And we got all the Christmas cards we got, and we want to pray for every one of them. And, and we're going back to doing that. And, and we also decided to give up something for Lent, just as a, as a discipline together. And it's kind of sad, because we already don't eat or drink most of the stuff most of you would give up for Lent, you know? There's, we already don't do gluten or sugar or not very much red meat, no cannabis. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do, but we realize that we've grown spiritually stale on this one. And if it could happen to us... It can happen to you, and we should know better. So take this as a sign to go, okay, let's go home and talk about this because maybe we're a little stale. If you've been here a while, you've seen me do the triangle illustration. As a matter of fact, I was trying to remember this week where I got it, and uh, I realized I've been using it so long, I don't even remember where I got this. And I've been using it for 30 years, so I'm sure the copyright has passed off. So this is mine. This is my illustration. Here it is, right here. If you got the husband on one side of the triangle and the wife on the other side of the triangle, as you get close to God, as you have intimacy with God, you have intimacy with each other. You see how that works? The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And that's why you can have a not average marriage this year. That's how you can have an intimate, exclusive partnership this year that's going to bring you to a new place in 2020 that you've never known before. And here's the deal, you guys. The truth about the divorce rate is that the numbers you hear are bogus. It's not 50%. At least not the first marriage. Shanti Feldhan is a Harvard-trained statistician. She spoke here last year. The truth is she found that first marriages have a 70% chance of making it. 
Okay, 70% chance of making it, even your first marriage. My friend Hayden Shaw, who gave me this information, he said he was at a restaurant, he was talking to a guy who was living with his girlfriend, and they were talking about marriage. He was a millennial guy, and he was like, yeah, we're thinking about getting married. And Hayden said, and the guy said, well, you know, I got a 50% chance of making it. And Hayden said, no, 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 that's not really true. You have a 70% chance of making it. And the guy was like, well, I'm going to go call my girlfriend and tell her it's time to do this then. Because that changes everything, doesn't it? And the truth of the matter is, one survey found that when you attend church together and you have Christ together and you have Christian friends and group settings and you pray together, the divorce rate is less than 10%. You got a 90% chance of making this thing happen. And not just making it happen, but being above average. And when it's above average and the world can see us and they can go, wow, look at that. I want that. I want that in my life. Jesus said there was this guy who decided to build his house, but he built it on the sand, and the rains came, and the floods came, and it, and it fell down because it had a bad foundation. But therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's how we get intimate, exclusive partnership. That's the ideal for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. We uh, really wanted to have somebody do John Legend's Ordinary People song because we just thought it really fit at the end of this sermon. And couldn't think of anybody better than my friend Montel Jordan and his wife Kristen. So we asked them to, to do it for us, and they did. And they, they also gave us a little bit of testimony ahead of time about what it was like for them. They had a really rough start at the beginning of their marriage, and Jesus healed them. And uh, so they're going to give us a little bit of that and then sing this amazing song. Just listen and be encouraged. <laughs> 